Welcome to Songs of Praise from 3ABN Australia Radio.
Sun to rule the day, the moon. 
moon shines full at his command, and all the stars obey. I sing the goodness of the Lord that filled the earth with food. He formed the creatures with his word and then pronounced them good. Lord, how thy wonders are displayed where'er I turn my eye. If I survey the ground I tread or gaze upon the sky, there's not a plant or flower below but makes thy glories known. And clouds arise and tempests blow by order from thy throne. While all that borrows life from thee is ever in thy care. And everywhere that man can be, thou God art present there.
This is Songs of Praise, brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio. I think I'm rich in need of nothing Covered with clothes that I have made I may seem whole but I am Walking in my own way But when I step into your presence Your light exposes who Exchange. 
change. Clothed in my sin, Christ suffered neath God's rage. Draped in his righteousness, I'm justified. In Christ I live, for in my place he died. His robes for mine, what cause have I for dread? God's daunting law, Christ mastered in my stead. Faultless I stand, with righteous works not mine. Saved by my Lord's vicarious death and life. I cling to Christ and marvel at the cost. Jesus forsaken, God estranged from God. But by such love my life is not my own. My praise, my all, shall be for Christ alone. His robes for mine, God's justice is appeased. Jesus is crushed. And thus the Father's pleased. Christ drank God's wrath on sin, then cried, "'Tis done." Sin's wages paid, propitiation won. I cling to Christ and marvel at the cost. Jesus forsaken, God estranged from God. But by such love, my life is not my own. My praise, my own, shall be for Christ alone. His robes for mine, such anguish none can know. Christ God's beloved, condemned as though his foe. He as though I, accursed and left alone. I as though he, embraced and welcomed home. I cling to Christ and marvel at the cost. Jesus forsaken, God estranged from God. But by such love, my life is not my own. My praise, my all, my praise, my all shall be for Christ. shall see I shall know my Redeemer 
when I reach the other side, and His smile will be the first to welcome me. I shall know Him. I shall know. I shall stand. I shall know Him. I shall know Him by the prince of the nails in His hand. shall know Him, and redeemed by His side, I shall stand. I shall know Him, I shall know Him, by the Prince.
living in a world where I don't belong. I see trouble and pain all around me. A place of darkness where I become strong. But I'm glad that I am on a journey to a world where happiness never ends. Indescribable in all of its glory. How I long to enter into.
you're listening to Songs of Praise. There is a candle in every soul, some brightly burning, some dark and cold. There is a spirit who brings a fire, ignites a candle and makes his home. So carry your candle, run to darkness seek out the helpless confused and torn hold out your candle for all to see it take your candle and go light your world take your candle and go light your Frustrated brother, see how he's tried to light his candle some other way. See now your sister, she's been robbed and lied to, still holds a candle without a flame. Carry your candle. Seek out the helpless, confused and torn. Hold out your candle for all to see it. Take your candle and go light your world. Take your candle and go light your family whose hearts are blazing so let's take a candle and light up the sky praying to our father in the name of Jesus make us a beacon in darkest night so carry your candle to the darkness, seek out the helpless, confused and torn. Hold out your candle for all to see it. Take your candle and go light your
Open-minded eyes, open-minded 
Listening to 3ABN Australia Radio's Songs of Praise. Come, thou fount of every blessing, to my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some. Sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. Praise his name, I'm fixed upon it. The name of God's redeeming love. Hitherto thy love has blessed me, thou hast drawn me.
You've been listening to Songs of Praise, a production of 3ABN Australia Radio. Welcome to 3ABN Australia Radio's book reading program. The book Christ's Object Lessons, written by Ellen White, presents the parables of Jesus in a fresh light, showing their application to Christian living today. In this devotional classic, Ellen White explores the depths of the best-loved teachings of Jesus, offering a deeply spiritual understanding of the parables of Christ as they apply to our lives today. You'll enjoy the practical applications in a way that touches your heart. Listen now as Clive Nash reads. Continuing the chapter, The Sower Went Forth to Sow, The Sower and the Seed. He who is the way, the truth, and the life... Himself, the living word, points to the scriptures, saying, They are they which testify of me. 
And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he opened to his disciples in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. John 5.39, Luke 24.27 Christ's servants are to do the same work. In our day, as of old, the vital truths of God's word are set aside for human theories and speculations. Many professed ministers of the gospel do not accept the whole Bible as the inspired word. One wise man rejects one portion, another questions another part. They set up their judgment as superior to the word, and the scripture which they do teach rests upon their own authority. Its divine authenticity is destroyed. Thus the people become confused and know not what to believe. There are many beliefs that the mind has no right to entertain. In the days of Christ, the rabbis put a forced mystical construction upon many portions of Scripture. Because the plain teaching of God's Word condemned their practices, they tried to destroy its force. The same thing is done today. The Word of God is made to appear mysterious and obscure in order to excuse transgression of His law. Christ rebuked these practices in His day. He taught that the Word of God was to be understood by all. He pointed to the Scriptures as of unquestionable authority, and we should do the same. The Bible is to be presented as the Word of the infinite God, as the end of all controversy and the foundation of all faith. The Bible has been robbed of its power, and the results are seen in a lowering of the tone of spiritual life. In the sermons from many pulpits of today, there is not that divine manifestation which awakens the conscience and brings life to the soul. The hearers cannot say, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the Scriptures? Luke 24, verse 32. There are many who are crying out for the living God, longing for the divine presence. Philosophical theories or literary essays, however brilliant, cannot satisfy the heart. The assertions and inventions of men are of no value. Let the Word of God speak to the people. Let those who have heard only traditions and human theories and maxims hear the voice of him whose word can renew the soul unto everlasting life. Christ's favorite theme was the paternal tenderness and abundant grace of God. He dwelt much upon the holiness of his character and his law. He presented himself to the people as the way, the truth, and the life. Let these be the themes of Christ's ministers. Present the truth as it is in Jesus Make plain the requirements of the law and the gospel. Tell the people of Christ's life of self-denial and sacrifice, of his humiliation and death, of his resurrection and ascension, of his intercession for them in the courts of God, of his promise, I will come again and receive you unto myself. John 14, verse 3. Instead of discussing erroneous theories or seeking to combat the opponents of the gospel, follow the example of Christ let fresh truths from God's treasure house flash into life. Preach the word, sow beside all waters. Be instant in season, out of season. He that hath my word, let him speak my word faithfully. What is the chaff to the wheat, says the Lord? Every word of God is pure. Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. Those texts are from 2 Timothy 4.2, Isaiah 32.20, Jeremiah 23, 28, and Proverbs 30, verses 5 and 6. The sower soweth the word. Here is presented the great principle which should underlie all educational work. The seed is the word of God.
But in too many schools of our day, God's Word is set aside. Other subjects occupy the mind. The study of infidel authors holds a large place in the educational system. Skeptical sentiments are interwoven in the matter placed in school books. Scientific research becomes misleading because its discoveries are misinterpreted and perverted. The Word of God is compared with the supposed teachings of science and is made to appear uncertain and untrustworthy. Thus, the seeds of doubt are planted in the minds of the youth, and in time of temptation they spring up. When faith in God's Word is lost, the soul has no guide, no safeguard. The youth are drawn into paths which lead away from God and from everlasting life. To this cause may in great degree be attributed the widespread iniquity in our world today. When the Word of God is set aside, its power to restrain the evil passions of the natural heart is rejected. Men sow to the flesh, and of the flesh they reap corruption. And here too is the great cause of mental weakness and inefficiency. In turning from God's Word to feed on the writings of uninspired men, the mind becomes dwarfed and cheapened. It is not brought in contact with deep, broad principles of eternal truth. The understanding adapts itself to the comprehension of the things with which it is familiar. And in this devotion to finite things it is weakened, its power is contracted, and after a time it becomes unable to expand. All this is false education. The work of every teacher should be to fasten the mind of the youth upon the grand truths of the word of inspiration. This is the education essential for this life and for the life to come. And let it not be thought that this will prevent the study of the sciences or cause a lower standard in education. The knowledge of God is as high as heaven and as broad as the universe. There is nothing so ennobling and invigorating as a study of the great themes which concern our eternal life. Let the youth seek to grasp these God-given truths and their minds will expand and grow strong in the effort. It will bring every student who is a doer of the word into a broader field of thought and secure for him a wealth of knowledge that is imperishable. The education to be secured by searching the scriptures is an experimental knowledge of the plan of salvation. Such an education will restore the image of God in the soul. It will strengthen and fortify the mind against temptation and fit the learner to become a co-worker with Christ in his mission of mercy to the world. It will make him a member of the heavenly family and prepare him to share the inheritance of the saints in light. But the teacher of sacred truth can impart only that which he himself knows by experience. The sower sowed his seed. Christ taught the truth because he was the truth, his own thought, his character, his life experience were embodied in his teaching. So with his servants. Those who would teach the word are to make it their own by a personal experience. They must know what it is to have Christ made unto them wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. In presenting the word of God to others, they are not to make it a suppose so or a maybe. They should declare with the Apostle Peter, We have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. 2 Peter 1.16 
Every minister of Christ and every teacher shall be able to say with the beloved John, The life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. 1 John 1 verse 2 The Soil by the Wayside That with which the parable of the sower chiefly deals is the effect produced on the growth of the seed by the soil into which it is cast. By this parable, Christ was virtually saying to his hearers, It is not safe for you to stand as critics of my work or to indulge disappointment because it does not meet your ideas. The question of greatest importance to you is, how do you treat my message? Upon your reception or rejection of it, your eternal destiny depends. Explaining the seed that fell by the wayside, he said, When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one, and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. The seed sown by the wayside represents the word of God as it falls upon the heart of an inattentive hearer. Like the hard beaten path, trodden down by the feet of men and beasts, is the heart that becomes a highway for the world's traffic, its pleasures and sins. Absorbed in selfish aims and sinful indulgences, the soul is hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews 3.13 The spiritual faculties are paralyzed. Men hear the word but understand it not. They do not discern that it applies to themselves. They do not realize their need or their danger. They do not perceive the love of Christ, and they pass by the message of His grace as something that does not concern them. As the birds are ready to catch up the seed from the wayside, so Satan is ready to catch away the seeds of divine truth from the soul. He fears that the word of God may awaken the careless and take effect upon the hardened heart. Satan and his angels are in the assemblies where the gospel is preached. While angels of heaven endeavor to impress hearts with the word of God, the enemy is on the alert to make the word of no effect. With an earnestness equaled only by its malice, he tries to thwart the work of the Spirit of God. While Christ is drawing the soul by his love, Satan tries to turn away the attention of the one who is moved to seek the Saviour. He engages the mind with worldly schemes. He excites criticism or insinuates doubt and unbelief. The speaker's choice of language or his manner may not please the hearers, and they dwell upon these defects. Thus the truth they need, and which God has graciously sent them, makes no lasting impression. Satan has many helpers. Many who profess to be Christians are aiding the tempter to catch away the seeds of truth from other hearts. Many who listen to the preaching of the Word of God make it the subject of criticism at home. They sit in judgment on the sermon as they would on the words of a lecturer or a political speaker. The message that should be regarded as the word of the Lord to them is dwelt upon with trifling or sarcastic comment. The minister's character, motive and actions, and the conduct of fellow members of the church are freely discussed. Severe judgment is pronounced, gossip or slander repeated, and this in the hearing of the unconverted. Often these things are spoken by parents in the hearing of their own children. Thus are destroyed respect for God's messengers and reverence for their message, 
and many are taught to regard lightly God's word itself. Thus in the homes of professed Christians, many youth are educated to be infidels, and the parents question why their children are so little interested in the gospel and so ready to doubt the truth of the Bible. They wonder that it is so difficult to reach them with moral and religious influences. They do not see that their own example has hardened the hearts of their children. The good seed finds no place to take root, and Satan catches it away. In Stony Places He that receiveth the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it, yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a while, for when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. The seed sown upon stony ground finds little depth of soil. The plant springs up quickly, but the root cannot penetrate the rock to find nutriment to sustain its growth, and it soon perishes. Many who make a profession of religion are stony ground hearers. Like the rock underlying the layer of earth, the selfishness of the natural heart underlies the soil of their good desires and aspirations. The love of self is not subdued. They have not seen the exceeding sinfulness of sin, and the heart has not been humbled under a sense of its guilt. This class may be easily convinced and appear to be bright converts, but they have only a superficial religion. Join us again next time as Clive Nash continues to read from the book Christ's Object Lessons, written by Ellen G. White. Hope you enjoy the short presentation of how God led His people after the Reformation from lineagejourney.com. Ellen Gould Harmon and her twin sister Elizabeth were born on November the 26th, 1827, in the town of Gora, Maine, about 12 miles west of Portland. The state of Maine has named her birthplace a historic site, even though there is some question today over the exact place of the house. Her father, Robert, was a hat maker, and this was the family business. Acting upon the information that hats sold for a much higher price in the South than the North, he headed down South to the state of Georgia. Whilst he was gone, though, something tragic would happen. Ellen and Elizabeth attended the Brackett Street School. The building stands behind me today, although it's no longer used as a school. And one day whilst walking home, they were shouted at angrily by a bigger girl. Sensing trouble and wanting to avoid it, they started to run. And whilst running, Ellen turned to look and in that split moment, a rock smashed her in the face. Despite bleeding heavily and fainting several times, she made it home and a doctor was called for immediately. The first doctor said that she wouldn't live more than a few days. Another one suggested that they put some silver wire in her nose to maintain its shape, but in the end, nothing was done. 
She lay unconscious for three weeks, and when she finally regained her consciousness, she had no recollection. Her face was forever changed, and when her father returned from his trip down south, painfully for Ellen, he did not recognize her at first glance. Ellen had to put it with ridicule and name-calling from the children in her neighborhood and struggled to read when she went back to school and eventually she had to leave school. The course of her life would take another massive turn when a popular preacher, William Miller, came to town. Her family were Methodist and they went to hear him preach at a church on Casco Street, Portland. They heard him speak convincingly and passionately about the soon and imminent return of Jesus. It seems almost strange today to think that this was a radical new teaching. They embraced this message, and for this reason, they were disfellowshipped from the Chestnut Methodist Church here. Not because anyone questioned their morals or Christian life, but simply because they embraced the message of the soon return of Jesus. Ellen was 17 years old on October the 22nd, 1844, when Jesus did not come and they experienced the great disappointment. Her twin sister Elizabeth and her brother Robert would lose their faith in Jesus' soon return in the coming weeks, though Robert would later regain it. And so God ordained that out of obscurity from a small town in Maine, in the northeasterly tip of the United States of America, something great would emerge. Despite suffering terrible injuries that would have hindered many other people in life, despite a lack of education, facing ridicule about her appearance and faith, God would use her to impact the world. And so today, no matter how small or insignificant our background or experience may be, God is looking for humble vessels that He can use. May you be one of them. For more episodes in this series, visit lineagejourney.com.